Let's, let's pray before we start this morning. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you uh, for guidance in our families and our homes. And Lord, we thank you uh, for the, the guidance that you have given us. And some of the ideas that we're going to be sharing this morning, Lord, we just um, we ask that you would breathe your life into them. You are the creator, Lord, and we just ask that you would create an atmosphere of love and peace and hope in our homes and that there would be joy and smiles and laughter uh, in, in the presence of our children and our spouses. And Lord, that you would be present in all that we do. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, I've entitled this final uh, presentation, Ingredients for a Healthy Family. And the interesting thing, you know, when you take a, a mental assessment of, of, of a project like this is you, you, you start doing a lot of self-assessment. Kind of, you know, as Kana was talking about some of the marketing things, there's, there's the planning phase, then there's the implementation phase. And then at the end of that, you look at it all and you say, hey, how, what was working? What went wrong? What went right? And, and you assess things. And, during the, and, and that's kind of what happens for us as we're looking at these topics. And, and there's a lot of self-assessment and looking at our family and saying, well, what are these things did we do right? And what are the things did we do wrong? And, and I, would, I would like to think that, man, we did everything right, but we didn't. We've made a lot of mistakes as, as a family, as parents, as uh, spouses. But um, by the grace of God, in that reassessment phase, you always go back and plan to re-implement and make changes and adjust. And so it's a cycle. It's an ongoing cycle. And I'm, I'm thankful personally for the opportunity to do some reassessment and uh, look for places where we can improve and, and increase our effectiveness as a family. Um, if you're going to make a list or a recipe or of ingredients, I think, you know, obviously the, they typically put on, on the side of a cereal box or on the side of a, a can of, of uh, food at the grocery store. The first ingredient is the one that's the, the most in you know the, the highest content in the uh, in the recipe, and so if if we're looking at first things first, obviously um, we've got to start with spiritual things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We've actually talked about that verse a couple of times, but I didn't want to to go into this kind of a laundry list of ingredients for a happy home without the obvious of it really has to start with, with God first in, in the middle and at the end and all the way through. And included in that, um, putting God first, is um, the concept that Kana actually touched on in the last session, and that is abiding. Um, and what does it really mean to abide in Christ? Um, Ellen White talks a lot about abiding. And... Um, one of the things that, that I've learned is that abiding isn't something that happens in the morning during daily devotion or at the evening time during family worship. It's not something that happens once or twice a day. Abiding, by definition, is staying. And um, another word that came to me in that is, um, is like a clinging and a cleaving. And I've said this to Kana many times over the past six months that I feel like I'm just clinging to her and she's clinging to me and we're clinging to the Lord together. And that's what abiding means. It's like this constant state of staying in God's presence 
and holding on to him. Um, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 15, 7. And then this, this clinging, another word for clinging is the word cleave, to cleave to something, right? That's kind of an old English word. We don't use that much in normal conversation. But some of the newer translations actually use the word cling instead of cleave. If you cling, cleave to the Lord your God as you have done this day, uh, Joshua is admonishing the children of Israel, cleave to the Lord. We need to cling to God. And, and Jesus actually used the same word. At, in, in Matthew, it says, and, and he said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the twain shall be one flesh. Again, an old English term, but it, it's about clinging. It's about abiding. And we, we have to be abiding in each other. It's a part of the, the texting through the day when we're apart from each other. It's, it's the phone calls. It's, it's emails. It's, it's being together even when we're not together. It, it's this constant state of oneness. Um, the two shall become one flesh. And that is just an amazing concept, but, but it, it's really true. In fact, we've, we've wondered if when in heaven, you know, we don't know exactly what we're going to be like. Maybe we'll even be more one. Maybe we'll be able to, to, to read each other's thoughts or be more com- completely connected with each other as a unit in heaven. We don't know exactly what it's going to be like. But we have to cling to God and cling to each other. That's a part of the abiding. So I think it's really one of the, again, one of the key ingredients when you, when you start at the top. Now, that doesn't mean the rest of the ingredients as we get towards the end of the list are, any, are less important uh, or, or, or unimportant as we get towards the end. But, but I think clinging, abiding, and putting God first in our lives, without that, the rest of the recipe uh, it's, it's like, you know, the bread won't rise. Uh, it, it just doesn't taste good. It's, there's no sweetness to the recipe at all if we don't include those first two ingredients. Family worship's an important part of having a healthy family. And I'm thankful that over the years, Kana has had such a passion for family worship. I, I lament the fact that often I, was, I would show up at the last minute for family worship and be there and be present and listen, but sometimes not off. <laughs> uh, I, I wasn't always as active in the family worship process as I, as I used to be. And really in the last four and five months, as we've had family worship again with a renewed purpose in our home, you know, I, we, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's different when you have a four and a five-year-old, uh, or a two and a three-year-old in the house. Now we've got Adriana and Taylor are the last two at home. Chelsea's in the dorm. Emily Beth's living in Hawaii and married. So with our two younger ones, you've got a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old. And you call for worship. And, you know, it would be easy to tell if they didn't want to participate. But if you call them and you say, hey, we're going to have worship now, and you hear things all rattling and booming, and then, you know, in, in they come running. And we appreciate their willingness and their eagerness to be a part of our family together time there as, towards the end of the day. Kana had a really good formula for family worship in our house, and it worked really well for us. Um, you need to figure out what works for your family, but I'll tell you, um, Ellen White talks specifically about keeping family worship short 
and to the point and not dragging it out and making it boring for the kids. In fact, I've got a quote in here and I think I'll, I'll show that to you in a moment. But one of the formulas that worked for us, Kana, we would find inspiring books. Books like A Thousand Shall Fall. Have you, have you read that book? Okay. Uh, similar books like that. There's, there's dozens and dozens of books that are, are biographies about uh, Christian uh, leaders who have done amazing things and under amazing circumstances and against all odds. And, and the kids would just love it. You know, we would get to the end of the chapter and they'd read one more chapter. Please, can we read one more chapter? So you know you've got them when they're begging for more. And then, so that would be part of the family worship time. There'd be this exciting, you know, gripping edge of your seat kind of a story. And then we would read a, a, some passages from Spirit of Prophecy. We actually read not even chapter by chapter, but uh, passage by passage all the way through the great controversy through patriarchs and prophets, through uh, uh, all of these books of the, of the entire Conflict of the Ages series. And our kids were young. And, and we would think, oh, well, will they understand these concepts? Well, we stop and talk about them. It's not just, you know, shoehorning it into trying to force the foot into the shoe. We would stop, and if they have a question, you know, it's okay if we only got two paragraphs into this thing, but we, could, we can talk about it. And it took us years to get through them, but they've read them, and they've heard them, and they've got all these concepts buried in their heart by just little pieces at a time. And the third thing that we would always do is, is have a scripture passage or some sort of a, a, you know, some time in the Bible as well. Um, we're a very musical family, so you might think, oh, well, they always sang songs. Well, we have sung a lot. We sing more in the car than we do at family worship. For some reason, our kids were more interested in reading and hearing stories and talking about things than they were about pulling out the guitars and singing uh, Songs. Now we did some scripture songs, and we wrote some songs, and we did things like that. But it wasn't all, that wasn't a part of every single family worship, uh, like the stories and the and the reading was. But that was our formula that worked for our family. Find what works for your kids. Each kid has different personalities and needs different uh, types of interaction. You know, we've all heard the uh, the adage: the family that prays together stays together. And family worship is a great time to incorporate prayer. We often would would say, okay. Who has prayer requests? Yes. It's a little bit organic. Um, there were times that it was short, maybe 10 minutes, five or 10 minutes. Dip, you know, often if we're reading a chapter out of one of these books, it might take five or 10 minutes just to read that chapter. And so maybe 15 or 20. And sometimes it might go on for a, a good long time. It just, a, yeah. Yeah. I, we like the idea of it not being formal and very rigid but being a little bit more organic, a little bit more fluid, that kind of matches our personality and it worked well with the personality of our kids, that it was still something that was very important. Very rarely did we miss out on it. There would be times that maybe we, would, we were in town and had to drive back and it was a three hour drive and everybody was you know, burned out and dead and tired and we you know, carried them in and laid them to bed and said prayer over them and kissed their foreheads. But that didn't mean that because we broke, that, broke the chain that tomorrow we didn't start back in on it again. You know? So don't feel like if you fail a night or a week that you can't just pick right up and go back into it. It's something that's so important and it really does make a difference. Let the seasons of family worship be short and spirited. Uh, from Child Guidance, page 521. Let the seasons of family worship be short and spirited. Do not let your children or any member of your family 
dread them because of the tediousness or lack of interest. If you say, it's time for worship, and you hear, oh. And I can honestly say there have been a couple of times when we've heard that, but, but then you're, that means that it's time to assess and re, reassess and re, reapply. Uh, don't let them dread them because of the tediousness or lack of interest. When a long chapter is read and explained and a long prayer is offered, this precious service becomes wearisome, and it is a relief when it's over. That's the last thing you want is, whew, we're done. It should be the special object of the heads of the family to make the hour of worship intensely interesting. By, little, by a little thought and careful preparation for this season, when we come into the presence of God, family worship can be made pleasant and will be fraught with results that eternity alone will reveal. So, again, I would encourage you to think about how family worship will become a part of your, your daily routine. For those of you who are not yet families or do not have kids yet, have family worship with your spouse. Have family worship with your roommates. Have family worship in, if, you're, if you wind up in the dorm. Uh, gather guys around, have small group. You know, you don't have to call it family worship. We're just going to get together and, and have Bible study together. Find ways to corporately worship together as well as your own private time together. Right. Find a book that's uh, meaningful. It's maybe something that you've read in the past that you want to read together with your spouse and go over it and talk about it and just have discourse back and forth. And it's, it's really a bonding experience. The next ingredient I wanted to bring up is to create memories. Now, this is a really powerful thing. Um, and I think if, if you look at the traditions of, of, for instance, and it's not even so much a scriptural tradition, but it's more of a cultural tradition in the Jewish uh, train of thought, on Friday nights, the way they would bring in the Sabbath, there's, there's lighting of candles and there's th th uh, sayings that are said and songs that are sung and the breaking of the bread, and the, they have challah bread, and they have all of the, the grape juice and different things. So these things, the traditions that you create, cement, uh, create a, a sense of specialness for uh, an event like the Sabbath. So I made a list of a few things that we've done as a family and things that you might want to try. Um, create family traditions, whatever they might be. For instance, maybe... Your tradition is on the first weekend of summer, you're going to go uh, camping at, up in Glacier National Park. And that's what you do every summer. Uh, maybe one of, one of our family traditions was we would always go to the Montana Conference Camp Meeting. And um, we lament the fact that we were missing Montana Conference Camp Meeting this weekend in Montana and Bozeman. We, now that we're close enough as a family, again, we're within driving distance of Montana. That's a tradition we want to re invest in because when we moved away to Texas and lived in Denver, it was too far and kind of hard for us to continue with that family tradition. But family traditions are very important. Thanksgiving Day, um, how you, you know, the meal that you create for Thanksgiving or for Christmas, these things bring family back together and create a sense of home and a sense of place and a sense of, of tradition. Choose a special meal to bring in the Sabbath. So many families do this, and it's such a wonderful thing. And so, for some people, it's you know popcorn and fruit salad. For somebody else, it's haystacks. For us, for years, Kana would make split pea soup, and she would make a. Um, we we were actually 
looking for a recipe online to make um, an unleavened bread for communion, but we liked the way it tasted so much. And she would make it a little thicker and maybe cook it a little less so it was a little less crackery and a little less, you know, like flaky, but it was more almost chewy. And it was so good. And so every Friday night we would make this flatbread and have the split pea soup and have grape juice. And that was our tradition for bringing in the Sabbath. Create a special meal. It just it creates And now if we have that, the kids are immediately back in our cabin in Montana and remembering those special Sabbath evenings. Use candles and fragrances in your home to create a, a special place. When you walk in and you smell, there are times when, um, like, oh, I know what it is. I, the, the other day I was using um, spray starch to, to, clean, to iron my shirt. And Taylor was walking by and he was like, what's that smell? It smells like Nana's house. And he was immediately transported to my, to my mother's house. And um, for some reason, the cleanness and the smell of that spray just transported him there. There are certain smells that take me to my grandmother's house. And, senses of, and, and in fact, you know, the Lord used incense in the temple to represent our prayers. And, and smells are a very, very powerful, visceral part of us creating a sense of place and, and, and cementing the hearts of your children to home. Bake bread. Now, this is something that we haven't done a lot of in our home. We, have, we don't really uh, have the knack for, for baking bread, although Kana has a bread machine, and we've done some bread machine baking. But the whole process of kneading and yeast and all of that, we haven't taken classes in it, and we haven't really learned to do it very well. But it's something that when you smell fresh baked bread, when you walk in, again, it's tied to fragrance. And it's tied to, in fact, they say if you're getting ready to sell your house, bake bread before the family comes over to look at it and they'll feel like oh it's home <laughs> sing a prayer song our family uh, from before the time that Khan and I met they would sing us a, a song at mealtime and um, it goes we thank thee for the sunshine we thank thee for the rain for food for home for life for love we thank thee Lord again amen and so we as a family sing that at mealtimes. And other families, when they come and join with us, they take that home and take it with them. And it's such a wonderful thing. It creates a touchstone. It's a memory place that brings your family together. And now the neat thing is, because of the extended family and Kana's brothers and sisters grew up singing it, their children grew up singing it. We have cousins and aunts and uncles and nieces and nephews. And when we come together at Thanksgiving, or at a birthday celebration, or any time we're all together on a Friday evening, we all hold hands around the table, and we sing that song, and it sounds like a choir. And it just, it's so neat to see all the families coming together and everybody singing it, and it's like a special thing that ties our whole family together. It's a bond, no pun intended. So be creative and have fun in the ways that you create memories. But the, the whole idea is to make family special and to do things that are uniquely yours as a family. The next ingredient I, that came to my mind is to love your spouse. Now, there's really nothing your kids want more than to know that mom loves dad and dad loves mom. And I grew up in, in a home. I was an only child, as I shared with you earlier. My mom and dad loved each other very much. They had a very special relationship. And I remember even as a little, little kid, maybe three or four years old, 
being in the kitchen and looking up at mom and dad. And my dad would take my mom in his arms and wrap his arms around her and he would kiss her on the lips. And then he'd look down at me and he'd go, wow. And uh, you know, he was letting me know that this was really special. When he kissed her, wow, he would whisper. And um, so I remember thinking you know, that this love between mom and dad was so sacred and so special. And until the day they that he, he passed away, my mom is still alive, my father passed away two years ago, he was just in love with her. He just loved her and cherished her and treasured her. And I always felt secure. I never had to worry about my, my family or my home uh, you know, falling apart. And, and so it gives you this sense of safety and a, and a sense that no matter what else happens in this world, I have parents that love each other. I can face whatever it is because mom and dad are together. Con and I have been very, very blessed to have a relationship like that. And that we have, even when we've had arguments, even when we fussed, when we fought, the kids have known that mom loves dad and dad loves mom. And it just gives them a sense of, of safety. It's a safety net. And so I want to encourage you. You know, the, the, the scripture is very clear. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And he gave himself for her. What, was, what did he do? He laid down his life for the church, didn't he? He laid down his life for us. We as husbands need to love our wives that much that we would be willing to lay down our lives for them. This is a really nice quote from Signs of the Time, May 7, 1894. That cannot be a happy home where love is not cultivated between husband and wife between parents and children. If parents have been self-centered and have trained their children in an atmosphere where love is not manifested in, in affectionate words and actions, then change the atmosphere of your home as quickly as possible, she says. Let husbands love their wives and let the wives see that they reverence their husbands. When the grace of Christ is received in the heart, it will soften when whatever is harsh and subdue that which is coarse and unkind courtesy will be expressed in the affairs of the home. Let the father and mother remember that they themselves are but grown-up children. I like that line. Through great light, though great light has shone upon their pathway and they have had long experience, yet how easily they are stirred to envy, jealousy, or evil, evil surmisings. Because of their own mistakes and errors, they should learn to deal gently with their erring children. So this is an atmosphere of grace and warmth and love and kindness, kind words that are going to be said and in, in, in place of when harshness arises in the heart, instead diffuse it with kind words. And that's going to be the very next thing that we're going to talk about is to use kind words. Can you know, yes, please do. And the question is, does this still apply if the home is broken? And we have definitely observed that it does apply in the same way. Um, you know, maybe you're not with your spouse, maybe there has been a divorce that has taken place, but the children tend to respond to the parent most deeply who is respectful of the other spouse, even if there has been a broken relationship, um, who has forgiven and gone on and moved on and, and um, kind of acknowledged their contribution to the brokenness um, with hope, as we talked about earlier, but just having respect for that other spouse, even if that spouse is gone or dead or is, you know, gone by divorce, that that translates the same way into loving your spouse. It has the same effect. So. Right. 
it's very important to treat everybody with respect, even somebody who's hurt you. And that's real religion. You know, if our children look at us to see how we handle, well, they do look at us to see how we handle these situations. And if, and if we can't love the person who's wronged us or be kind and respectful to the person who's wronged us, then um, it, it, they, they see our religion as meaningless. If it can't change us, if we can't forgive others, then how can they forgive us when we wrong them? And um, so, yes, kind words. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How often have we seen that in our home? It's so easy to lose your temper. And the moment one person's temper is raised and flared, the other person's is, is heightened as well. And then it just escalates. And, um, and a sense of kindness and gentleness in those situations, because we all have disagreements. We all have situations where where we've been wronged or that we see the error of the ways of our child. And, and so you're, you're passionate about it. You care so deeply about them. How does that passion translate? Sometimes it just comes out the wrong way. But soft answers turn away wrath and um, harsh words stir up anger. I love this passage from Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. In fact, um, our family uh, wrote a scripture song based on this basic verse. It's, it's loosely related to this verse, but it, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you are called with lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another, that's being patient with one another. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Kind words, gentle words are so, so important in the home. Along those lines, when we've wronged each other, it's very important to ask forgiveness. It's so easy for us, especially when you know you're right. Okay, I've, I've, I've been in a situation, I feel like I'm right, she feels like she's right, but you can be right and completely wrong in the way you handled it, right? And so even when, when you in your heart may say, okay, I was right in this situation, but I handled it wrong, you need to ask for forgiveness. Be the first one to come and say, honey, I was wrong. Please forgive me. And, and it goes for a parent to a child as well. It is so important when we make mistakes as parents to step to the children and say, look, I handled that horribly. Please forgive me. I was wrong. Those are the words that melt the heart of the child. When I, when I come to, t I think of times that I have, you know, reacted harshly or, or um, lost my temper uh, with my son and I come to him afterwards, and you know, sometimes he's the kind of person who things need to diffuse a few minutes. You can't just deal with it instantly. You need to kind of give him about 10 minutes to cool down. But then you come to him and you say, son, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me, I was wrong. I handled that really badly. And he'll immediately say, no, dad, I was wrong. I'm so sorry, dad, oh. You know, and throw his arms around you. You know, there's this reconciliation. Forgiveness is such a powerful tool and if we can't uh, swallow our pride and forgive, um, we, we, we create deeper chasms. 
Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar and there, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first and be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. God says, you know what? Don't even bring your offerings to church. Leave it there and go make things right with your brother. Make them right with your wife. Make them right with your husband, with your child. Make sure that things are right at home. That's Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Again, in Matthew, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We have to be willing to forgive. We have to be willing to ask for forgiveness, and we have to be willing to forgive. Forgiveness is not, well, I forgive you, but... Or, I forgive you, and then 30 minutes later, yeah, but you remember what you did. That's not forgiveness. The other thing that's a challenge as a parent is when you're working with your kids and you say, okay, uh, Tommy, tell Susie that you're sorry. I'm sorry. You know, and lip is sticking out, and, you know, is he really sorry? He's not. His te teeth are clenched, and he's... His fists are, are, his fists are clenched, clenched and his teeth are gritted and I'm sorry. And, and then, you know, she says, I forgive you. Nothing's really happened there. We forced, uh, you know, an interchange of words, but nothing has really happened. We as parents have to model forgiveness so that our children can then learn how to love and forgive each other. The follow-up to that is, if, if you forgive others, if, for if you forgive others of their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. <coughs> but if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father cannot or will not forgive your transgressions. You know, and I think that there's just kind of a natural law um, is in, in the same way that gravity is a natural law that just can't be gotten around on this earth. Um, it's not that, that God doesn't want to forgive us or won't forgive us, but I don't believe that he can forgive us when we, won't, when we are in a spirit of unforgiveness of others. When you're holding this cancer of anger and hatred and unforgiveness to somebody else, it creates a barrier that doesn't allow God to forgive us. And, and you know, when we, when, we hold, um, when we hold another person's faults against them and won't let them go, are we hurting that other person? No, we're only hurting ourselves. The next ingredient is a, is a really important one. You know, life is very busy and very, uh, you know, there's a lot of stress in life. I don't think that we smile and laugh enough. It's really important to smile and to laugh. Mother Teresa said, every time you smile at someone, it's an action of love a gift to that person, a beautiful thing. And here's a nice anonymous little quote, a smile is the shortest distance between two people. I like that. Our home has had a lot of laughter and a lot of smiles, but there have also been times when we've just, you know, been busy and about things and you just kind of, you realize maybe I've gone through the whole day and I never really smiled that much. And it's really important, especially with your kids, to just smile at each other. I know that I can be going through cares or worries or woes or have stress or I'm on deadline, and all Khan has to do is walk in the room and smile at me, and my whole, everything lightens. My load lightens, and everything is better. Smile. And along those lines, play. I've, 
I've written down a few ideas. I want you to be creative, but there are a lot of ways that we can play. You know, having a family game night would be one way that you can play. It's fun to play games together, as long as we're not getting too competitive with each other. If, the, if game night ends with, you know, I, I won and you lost, then you've, you've missed the point. It should be, it's about the, the laughter that happens while you're playing. Um, go to the park and play Frisbee. I mean, how much more fun can you have for $8? So, you know, buy a Frisbee and go throw it and play and have a great time. I mean, you will laugh, you'll get exercise, you'll, you'll, you'll have fun. Here's another one. Have a pillow fight. Why not? One of the, some of the most fun things that we, fun times that we have in our home is rest, wrestling around and playing on the bed. Taylor, you know, when he was a little boy, it was really fun. I could easily, you know, wrestle him down and hold him down and tickle him. And, and uh, now he's strong enough to hold me down. And he's like, you know, he's ready to give me a little bit of the, the medicine back that I gave him. But we, it always, I mean, we'll laugh until we cry. I mean, it's just so much fun. He and Kana will, will rat, wrestle sometimes, and she always winds up screaming. Ah, ah. And she, she's trying to get, get back on top of him, and then he gets on top of her and holds her down. And, you know, one of the things, you know, Taylor hates is if you kiss him on the neck, because I've got whiskers, right? You know, so I get in there, and he's like, ah, no, 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 stop it, stop it. These things bond you together as a family. Having fun, laughing, playing, doing silly things. Skip through the park. You know, why not hold hands and skip? It's kind of fun to do that. Um, play in the rain. Go stomp in puddles. Just go out in the rain and twirl around. Have fun. Just drink it in. I remember uh, there was this, when we first moved to Montana, it, had, it was about 100 degrees. It was in July. It was really hot and dry. We had moved there from Florida, which is hot and moist. But it was just really, really like an oven. And we, the place that we had had no air conditioning. In fact, most of the houses don't have air conditioning in Montana. It had this south-facing window, and it was just soaking up all of these rays of the sun, which was great during the wintertime. But man, when we first got there, we had to open all the windows and let the breeze blow through. And thankfully, at night, it gets cool. But after about three weeks of that, and there had been some forest fires going on, and there was a no-burn season going, it was just like this really dry, hot summertime. And all of a sudden, a rainstorm came through. And we stepped outside, and the kids had never felt cold rain. Because in Florida, when it rains, it's just kind of hot and, and lukewarm. And we stepped out, and it almost felt like little icicles coming down out of the sky. And they were like, the rain is cold here. And we just stood out in the rain, and we just drank, drank it in. We couldn't believe how, what a relief it was to have that rain flowing down from the sky after the hot summer. But just find ways to have fun. Have you ever gone for a ride in a shopping cart since you were about three or four? Why not, right? Just have fun. Don't be afraid to be silly. As a family, whether it's just a couple, the two of you, or with your kids, have fun. Let your hair down. Don't be so serious all the time. And the final thing, and I think this is a really important one. That's why I said at the beginning, don't think that the last ingredient is the least important. Touch. Touch is healing. Can you think of almost any miracle that Christ did where touch was not involved? Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy, Matthew 8, 3. 
Mark 10, 13 says one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch them and bless them. Touch is a blessing. Touch is healing. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, they came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Why? Because Jesus' touch was healing. And our touch is healing as well. And it's more than just, you know, if I, if, there are times when I just reach out and grab her shoulder and, and just give her a little pat or whatever. But try to find time every day, like when, uh, after, after a long day, we go into the kids' room and we have prayer with them. I always spend a few minutes just, you know, giving them a little bit of a massage on the back of their neck, squeezing their shoulders. Get, oh, Dad, that feels so good. Thank you, Dad. Oh, that's wonderful. Touch is healing and touch bonds people and it brings you together hug each other, touch each other, hold hands when you're walking around, and you will find that your family is more connected. Don't withhold touch from your children. When they've done something wrong, they really want to be, it's, it's bringing them back into the fold by bringing them into your touch, by holding your arms around them, by loving them. Let your touch be loving. Never raise your hands in anger. Um, you know, I, we, we, we used um, corporal punishment. At times, we had to spank our kids. At times, I was spanked as a child. I'm sure Connor received a few spankings as a kid, too. But that should be the exception. And always after that kind of touch. And it's not a negative touch. It's, it's, it's positive in that it's a training touch. But even after that, don't withhold the hugs and the love and the closeness because touch is so important. So in closing, it's a, it's a simple list. You could add to this list, but take stock of the things that make your family healthy. Give them healing, healing touch. Give them smile and laughter. Use kind words of affirmation. Love your spouse in front of your kids, not just in your bedroom alone. Appropriately show your love in front of the children. Do things that make memories and touchstones and bring your family together for worship every night. Cling to each other, cling to God, and you will have a very, very happy family. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, these words that you've shared with us this morning, these ideas, and they're just a starting point. Lord, with your creativity, we can do so many wonderful things to make our family atmosphere a more loving uh, atmosphere where your angels are welcome and where we sense your presence. And Lord, um, in the times that we've failed, we ask for forgiveness. And Lord, we just ask that you'd help us to succeed as we, as we try to make our homes a little bit more like heaven. We ask this in your name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.